Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God because there's a lot of good news going on in the Kingdom of God, which is at hand. It's for the living. You're supposed to be seeking it, and you're supposed to be seeking the righteousness of God. So that's two things you're supposed to be seeking, the Kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. So what is the righteousness of God? I can guarantee you the righteousness of God is not coveting your neighbor's goods. It's not forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. It's not forcing your neighbor to do almost anything. You're supposed to be allowing your neighbor to pursue happiness, to pursue righteousness, to pursue uh, his own purposes and hope that his purposes are the purposes of God. If he infringes upon your neighbor's right to pursue those hap- that, that, that happiness under God, that kingdom of God, then you have a right to tr- defend your neighbor. And the reason you defend your neighbor is because you love your neighbor. It is the antithesis of loving your neighbor to go out and try to force your neighbor to, neighbor to bow to your will. To do what you think is right. Your neighbor is supposed to be seeking to know what is right. That's righteousness. Now, I mentioned the pursuit of happiness. Now, I, you know, I hear, hear people once in a while say things like, well, as long as they're happy, I cringe at that. That's like fingernails on the chalkboard to me. What in the world? Where did that come from? As long as you're happy. That, it's like your happiness trumps righteousness your happiness overrules good and evil it doesn't matter as long as you're happy that's all that matters that is that is really an insane approach to life but people say it all the time but the reality is i understand that most people when they say things like that they haven't got a clue what they're saying and uh, it's true also when a lot of people read things, read the Bible, read other things, hear other things, or ask questions and they respond. This is something I noticed on Facebook recently to some of these groups that have actually, their, you know, their topic groups, their closed groups. They supposedly have discussions. Facebook discussions are horrendous, especially with large groups that uh, have vague purposes for their existence. What people do is somebody makes a comment and then people respond to that comment. And everybody responds to that comment. They don't read any of the other comments. They just respond to the original comment, their opinion concerning the original comment. They they often are way off base. They're not on point. They're just expressing an idea that happens to be in their head. It's kind of like stream of consciousness, stream of Facebook. It's just... People randomly, you know, what first comes into their mind, they write out. And they don't explore the topic. They don't listen to anybody else. 
They don't examine anybody else's thoughts on it. They just respond to the original topic only, and then they go out and have a, you know, coffee mocha or something. Because they're not really interested in learning. They already think they know. They, they're not, they're not engaging in other people. And it's funny, one of the groups that does this is one that the people are always saying they want fellowship with other people. They want to have the Christian fellowship with other people. But they don't even read the other people's comments about the what somebody thinks is an important topic. They evidently think it's an important topic enough to respond to it. But they don't, they're not engaging in a conversation with all the other people that they want to, quote unquote, have fellowship with. And what I notice in, in a particular group is that most of the fellowship is, uh, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't uh, drown an ant in. I mean, you, I mean, it's just so shallow. It's all feelings. And of course, we see that in our talks about conservative, uh, conservatives and liberals and all the conflict in politics, that, which is a part of the world that we live in. It's not part of the world I live of, but it's part of the world I live in. And uh, so, you know, it interests me because politics interests other people and people interest me. I'm not really concerned about what makes everybody happy, but I'm concerned about seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Unfortunately, when you tell people what righteousness really looks like, (laughs) that often doesn't seem to make them happy. (laughs) It seems to make them uh, the antithesis of happy which is sometimes extremely angry and upset and belligerent. But the reality is is it's not important uh, that you're happy as much as it's important that you seek righteousness. And righteousness will make you happy. Not necessarily at first. It's kind of like we're supposed to be children of God. Well, you know, your own kids, you give them a chore, you tell them to do something. Some people do, some people don't. They think, oh, we don't want to boss our children around. We want to give them a free hand. We we don't want to hamper their individuality. They're children. (laughs) You're supposed to be a parent guiding them. you, You should be able to tell your children what to do. And those children should do it out of love and respect for you. They should not do it simply because they fear you. Because you're going to give them a swat. Because you're going to give them a spanking. Because you're going to ground them. You should be cultivating love in them. And if you're not, if you don't really have a loving relationship with God where you actually are sitting down every day and trying to find out what God wants you to do by listening to God in your heart and in your mind, then you probably won't know how to be a good parent. If you sit down and you you shut up, <laughs> in other words, quiet in your mind, be still and know and, and seek to know the will of God instead of your own will. A lot of people, they sit down and they want to read the Bible. They think that's how they're going to know the will of God. And I have nothing against sitting down and reading the Bible, but that is something separate than waiting upon the Lord. Sitting down and reading the Bible is you trying to figure out what God wants by psychoanalyzing the authors of the Bible (laughs) 
It's, it's your, it's flesh and blood. It's your mental capacity trying to figure out the Bible. Now, certainly you can read the Bible and you can ponder it and you can try to figure it out and you kind of learn about it, find out who Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, because most theologians don't know who they all are. I mean, they, they know a little bit about Matthew. They don't know who Mark is. Uh, not for sure. Nobody seems to know. There's about 60 different theories on who Mark is. Yet, we got the Gospel of Mark and we use it. And we have it because Eusebius put it in the Bible. And Eusebius put it in the Bible because he was working for Constantine and he knew that would that would be okay with Constantine <laughs> if he put it in the Bible. And I don't have anything against Mark. It's probably one of the older books. It, it appears that uh, Matthew and Luke are somewhat dependent upon Mark's gospel. Now, although Matthew certainly adds a lot more stuff that you don't see in Mark or Luke or John. But, you know, that's okay. I, I'm not complaining about these Gospels, but we don't really know who all these guys are. We have an idea who some of them are. Uh, we don't, you know, if you, anybody who actually studies manuscripts, the original manuscripts, I mean, most people would be shocked. There's nowhere in the manuscript of John that we use to, you know, translate into uh, the Bible. Nowhere does it say that it was written by John. Most theologians don't believe that the same guy who wrote the epistles of John wrote the Gospel of John because the writing style is so different. Well, that's a, that was a shocker to me. And, you know, in studying Greek and looking at the original Greek, I, I have to say, yeah, that the writing styles are much different. It does not sound like John. Now, who is it that wrote it? Who is it that maybe dictated it and somebody else put it down into the Greek? Because that appears really what happened. They didn't actually handwrite it out. The person who is the source of the information for John doesn't appear to be the same person who wrote it down. Now, how do you know that? You don't. But it's an educated guess. I mean, you can tell that. You know, I mean, if you're a teacher, school teacher, or a homeschooled parent, which is a school teacher of the highest <laughs> resort, and your kid writes something out, it's pretty easy to tell, wait a minute, you copied this. You didn't write this out. You got this from somebody else. Because you can see that his writing isn't the same. Same way with the Bible. But yet, I believe the Bible is here by the grace of God. And I believe that it is full of truth. I believe it is one of the most misinterpreted books in history. You know, I might be a little prejudiced because that, because there are some Upanishad and, and books in India where they got a billion people and they're misinterpreting that book. So, you know, I really don't know. But it is, over the years, it has been in our culture and my lineage, one of the most misinterpreted uh, books in the Bible, I mean, b books in, in uh, writings anywhere. And, of course, you know, China's got a billion people, so they have books that are common amongst them. But the Bible's in China, the Bible's in India, the Bible's in South America, the Bible's in Australia and Canada and the United States. So the Bible's everywhere. And it's, I think, so it, it has a good chance for being the most misinterpreted books in the entire planet. <laughs> so, and, and you know this. 
You know, you don't have to take my word for it. You know it because there are so many different interpretations of the Bible. And, of course, we know in the Bible it says that the Bible is not given to private interpretation. Scripture is not given to private interpretation. But what does that mean? I mean, if a theologian interprets it, that's not private. No, that is private. That's a personal interpretation. It's not given. What it means is the Bible is given to revelation. And that's what Christ says. He says, not by flesh and blood. This is what makes you blessed, is that you know the truth, not by flesh and blood, but by revelation. That is God speaking in your heart, speaking in your mind. Well, now there's the rub. (laughs) You know, where it says in the Bible, all Scripture is given, you know, and it has the word Scripture there. That word Scripture there is just the word writings. It it doesn't, it's not unique to the Bible. They're not saying all of the Bible is given. It's saying all writings. It's not, you know, we translate that into Scripture, but the word actually means all writings. All writings. And, and that makes absolute sense once you understand that the only way you're going to know the truth is revelation. You know, somebody on Facebook happened this week, actually just yesterday, and I saw some of his responses last night. And uh, he was reading an article on Romans 13 that I wrote years ago. And uh, he was asking, what, what, why should I believe these writings, which are done by a human, over the writings done by other humans? You know, and how do I know that one is true and the other one is not true. And uh, and I said, well, one, we, we're not working for King James. <laughs> so we, we don't have any threat that uh, he may cut out our tongue and burn us at the stake like the kings did to Tyndale after he first tried to translate the Bible. And uh, they didn't like what he was coming up, which would maybe give you a little hint. You might want to check what Tyndale thought. I don't agree with Tyndale's translation entirely. But I think that he was revealing enough of the text that got him into trouble with the kings of England and other kings as well. Because people were starting to see what the Bible actually says in his English translation. Today, people could read the same exact text that Tyndale wrote and not see what people were beginning to see back then because they have the preconceived impression of words like religion other words that have been twisted the meanings have been twisted well this you know and i i pointed out to one group last night that uh in 200 years i've i've shown everybody on that group although they don't probably read all the posts that in 200 years the definition of religion has completely changed If you look it up in a dictionary 200 years ago, it said the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Religion was the performance of a duty. That's what religion was. That was the definition of religion. The performance of a duty. 200 years ago, that's what you would have... Now you look it up and it's what you think about God. Or a supreme being. They don't even say it's God. A supreme being. You know, I don't know the people in the Supreme Court are supreme beings. I mean, they're beings and they're supreme. So, <laughs> so I guess they're supreme beings too. And in truth, the gods, many that Paul talks about, 
He's talking about judges in courts of law. People say, well, that's ridiculous. I never heard of such a thing. You can look it up in the Strong's Concordance. The word theos that they translate into God everywhere in the New Testament. Strong's Concordance. I mean, theirs. Look it up in theirs. It means magistrates, judges. That's what it means. Now, the God of heaven is the supreme magistrate. <laughs> in my book. It may not be the supreme magistrate in your book, because maybe the supreme court decides what is good and evil for you. I don't know. But in my book, the God of heaven decides. Well, how do I know what he decided? Well, revelation. And how do you know if my revelation is true? The revelation that I have received is true. Well, you can go out and read the Bible and compare and look things up. And ultimately, you're going to have to decide by your revelation, <laughs> by what's revealed into your heart. And, you know, James gives you some hints. By their works, you shall know them. Jesus says the same thing. It's not by what you say. You know, I, I hear people all the time say they love Jesus. And they believe in Jesus. And they, they believe he's the son of God. They, they believe that this is what they think. What they believe. But Jesus, uh, in his doctrines, made it clear it's not what you say. It's what you do. But then I actually came across a very interesting, I guess it's been around for a long time. I talked to one of our other ministers who has a great deal, he's in Idaho and he has a great deal of experience in looking at all the different churches and all the different doctrines. I have looked at them, but I'm one of those guys that goes around and looks at something and I said, that just doesn't fit and I just let it go. And then I go on, so I don't, I'm not memorizing all these other doctrines. Uh, you know, some some studies have shown that uh, intelligence is dependent not so much upon what you remember, but what you are willing to forget. <laughs> so I guess you can take Mark Twain's statement that it because it just ain't so. So you get to forget that. So I have a tendency to forget all these other things. But I ran headlong into one of these dispensational ideas that. All the things that Jesus said before the crucifixion, you can throw those out. <laughs> I mean, this is actually what they're saying. This is what it comes down to. Because after the crucifixion and resurrection, you're in the new covenant. And so all those things don't apply anymore. Now, I understood that people were throwing out the Old Testament or their opinion of what the Old Testament says. And I get that. Um, they're wrong. Because Jesus is quoting the Old Testament all the time. But if you get to throw out Jesus and the doctrines of Jesus, now you're on, you know, he didn't say a lot after the crucifixion. But, so now you only have to accept what he said after the crucifixion and what the apostles said in the uh, epistles, uh, etc. That that's crazy but there's actual preachers getting paid to spread that nonsense they're getting paid really good they can afford a pretty good sized band <laughs> in church <laughs> evidently i won't mention any names you go figure out who they are but uh that's insane that's absolutely doesn't even make any kind of sense whatsoever uh the apostles were, I mean, even Paul says it. I'm preaching Christ first. But, um, and we're going to get into eventually in this little series, 
which I haven't figured out what to name this little series, but <laughs> we're going to look at Isaiah 58. But uh, I'm going to leave you with another thing that I have at the top of my notes. I looked at Walter Buren. I've known about him for a long time. He's the big C-A-F-R guy. And he was talking ending taxation, the only game in town. And what I'm trying to tell you all is that it's not the only game in town. There's seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the the game in town you should be seeking. It may not always make you happy to find out what that is because the truth sometimes hurts. But uh, if you pursue uh, in the way that Jesus said, striving, diligent, persevering, these are his words. And hopefully you haven't thrown Jesus out with the gospel of Jesus but uh, and the doctrines of Jesus. But uh, if you will pursue them, that pain will be overcome and you might be happy (laughs) but happiness will be the byproduct of seeking the kingdom of god and his righteousness not the goal and that's we're going to come back and visit that idea what's what's the goal and what's the byproduct of the goal because a lot of people are seeking the byproduct rather than the goal itself and i'll give you an example of that a lot of people can relate to is that people get sick And they treat the symptom. They don't treat the disease. The disease is something that's gone awry. Something that has, has, is not functioning according to its true nature. Something is interfering with, you know, the operation in its true nature. And so therefore we call that a disease. I used to always think of a disease as the result of a germ, but now disease is, they have all kinds of things they call, you know, alcoholism is a disease. Well, nobody caught alcoholism on a crowded elevator. That's the result of something that has caused this dis-ease in your person that causes you to drink or being drawn to drink or, you know, uh, perversions uh, or uh, brutality. All these things... Uh, you know, you can call them diseases, but they're interruptions in the natural course as God intended. And so to get back, you have to take a look at what's getting in the way of being true to the kingdom of God, to to the God of nature and to the uh, God of creation, which is all the same. And you're not being true to that, so therefore you're not being true to your nature and so what's getting in the way? Well, a lot of what's getting in the way is in your mind. And then it gets into your heart. And so we're going to talk about that. And we're going to review Isaiah 58. And we're going to bring it up to speed with the New Testament and the New Covenant. Because the New Covenant is is here now. The problem is you're not looking for it right. We'll be back.
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, we're talking a little bit about this idea of your your mind and your heart and your soul. And what that all means. Because uh, this, this thing we call uh, the brain... Uh, that where we do supposedly our thinking, you know, some people don't, you know, when you think, you geographically, you think you're thinking in your brain. Did you know that some people, when they think, they're actually thinking in the center of their chest and sometimes down in their stomach? That That's where their thoughts are. At least that's where they perceive their thoughts are. They don't perceive their thoughts up in their brain. They think when they're thinking geographically in their own body, they're actually thinking. They don't tell people this <laughs> because most everybody thinks up there in their head. But their thoughts, they think they're taking place. They feel, they sense that they're taking place in the center of their uh, their torso. I, you know, I, I found that amazing. I, I find all kinds of things amazing, you know. Uh, body mapping, all these kinds of things. When somebody loses a limb, they will remap that limb somewhere else on their body so that if you blindfolded them and, like, they lost their hand that was cut off, accident or whatever, you can actually, you a guy's gone around and tickled different parts of their body until all of a sudden they said, oh, wait a minute, you tickle my hand. I can feel you tickling my hand. And they said, well, what part of your hand? And then they make a little mark. And then what... Now what am I tickling? Oh, on my finger. I can feel it on my finger. This is the hand that's gone. Well, they're actually tickling them on their face and they have remapped their hand, the sensation of their hand on their face. They never noticed it until he was isolating, you know, little tickle spots uh, on the person. He finds that the whole hand, all five fingers, you know, thumb and four fingers, are remapped. On the guy's face. The body just does this. And why it does it, that's another whole program, which we actually have had. <laughs> and you'll have to go look that up at Preparing You, and you'll probably find it. But, uh, uh, or join the network, and people will help you find it, and then we'll fix that, it up so it's easier to find on Preparing You. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I talked originally about this idea of reading all these people on Facebook. Everybody sends a little post. And I'm talking about not, you know, family, Facebook interaction. People will check and say, oh, look, uh, Cousin Steve uh, responded or or whatever. And they, they do look at those. But I'm talking about on these groups that are three, 4,000 people. And somebody starts a topic and everybody makes their comment. Nobody's reading the other to- the other posts. I'm not going to say nobody, but a lot of people don't read that. They just want to say something about it, express their opinion. They haven't done any research. They didn't listen to anybody else. They're just going to throw out there because they feel like they're being listened to. They feel like somebody is, you know, asking for their opinion and they can share it. And they've it gives them a little chemical adrenaline uh, rush in their mind that somebody listened to what they're saying. If they were at a party or in a group somewhere trying to have this conversation and they made some of these stupid comments, people would all just look away and say, well, wherever that came from. <laughs> and they would notice that people would not listen to them, not pay attention because what they're saying is maybe stupid or ignorant or off topic. Uh, 
But when you put it on Facebook, on a group of thousands of people who nobody else is reading, <laughs> nobody nobody says anything bad about what you say. And so that you feel like, oh, well, I got to make my say. And I'm sure everybody read it. <laughs> I don't read anybody else. I don't have the time. I'm so busy. And, it, you know, it's just part of their delusion. But they're happy. <laughs> and that's what's important, right? They're happy. They're wrong, <laughs> but they're happy. <laughs> so, anyway, it's very unproductive at times. Uh, people say that the first thing you do and get up in the morning, or let's put it this way, the last thing you should do when you get up in the morning is go on Facebook. Because they've done tests where they tested the creativity of an individual when they first get up in the morning. There's ways to do that, ask certain questions and see what responses come from those questions. And they see that sometimes early in the morning when you get up, your creativity is at its peak first thing in the morning. When you first wake up and you actually wake up, maybe you actually have to have a cup of coffee because you're addicted to the (laughs) caffeine and coffee because that's just one of your drug addictions. (laughs) But it's legal, so it's okay. But anyway, uh, as long as you're happy. (laughs) So anyway. (laughs) um, But the reality is, if you go on Facebook and then they test you, your creativity level has plummeted. And they found statistically this is the case, that when you go on Facebook first thing in the morning, your creativity plummets for the rest of the day. So save your Facebook time for later in the day. Don't, don't go on first thing in the morning. Of course, now, that is, that's statistically true, but it may not be true for everybody. But... Um, Anyway, so why is that? Why would that be the case? What's going on in your mind? And uh, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell you right now because we won't have time to go into it. But it's an interesting observation of people, and to ponder that. Now that pondering of why things are a certain way, you know, why people are acting in a certain way. I have found people fascinating since I was a little kid. Watching people was you know, one of the my great interests in life. I'm just fascinated with people. I, I I think it's amazing, you know, how their minds work, how their bodies work, how, you know, the body is a system and everybody has their own little walk around encapsulated organic uh, system in which they dwell. And... Uh, and everybody is, you know, different things are happening in different people's body because of what they pursue, what they find of value, what they think, what they do. All this is affecting them. And the complexities of that are just absolutely entertaining to me. And it's, now I use the word entertaining, but entertaining, it, it's something that I just am drawn to understand because I, I and I care about people. You know, like I, I've had people complain that when I say you can't fix stupid, they complain that I say that because I'm pointing out all the time what people are doing wrong. And, and people are, and, and that's not, I, I also tell you what people should be doing that's right. And I tell you why I think it's right. And I leave that judgment to you. I'm not making anybody do anything. And on our recent group, 
they eventually terminated so you couldn't add anything to that thread. Uh, somebody monitored it. <laughs> I thought maybe, maybe they thought people were getting too informative. But anyway, whatever reason, so I never did put this up, but uh, one person I was expressing things about the early church and they said, there it is. There is the judgment. Because I said, while there are many people who say they are Christians, and and that that's what was, you know I went on to say why they are not necessarily Christians because a Christian is someone who follows Christ. So there's a lot of people who say they are Christians and that they're followers of Christ, but then there's this whole theology out there that says that you don't have to do anything that Christ said because that was before the crucifixion. He was talking to Old Testament people. Now, they'll argue, well, we don't mean everything he said. (laughs) But the reality is is that that's the way I see it applied sometimes by people. The point is, is that the Revelations, which is on the New Covenant side of the Bible, says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Zealous, diligent, and repent. Think a different way. Repenting means thinking a different way. Yeah, I'm supposed to, if I see somebody headed for a cliff or doing something what I think is wrong, I, I should. I have an obligation to tell them, even if they don't like to hear it. I, I've actually seen people, well, I don't want to tell them that they're going to, you know, lose their finger if they keep doing that. <laughs> you know, no, tell them, you know, that alligator's not dead. <laughs> That's important to tell people. Uh, so don't go that way. Don't go down there. There's alligators down there. <laughs> you you have to tell people that. It's not to be mean. It's because you love them. So now they may not like it that you tell them, but that's uh, I can't that I. It doesn't make me happy to have people not like me, but it would make me unhappy if I found out they got hurt. So. What's important to me is not that you're happy, that you live and prosper. (laughs) And those alligators are going to stop you from living. So I'm going to tell you, alligators, stay away from there. And of course, the biggest danger today is false preachers. So I should be, probably I should name all these false preachers, but they're not here. You, You get me on a show with them debating them. And I will prove to them my point, and and then you'll see that no, you're false. But I, he has to be there so he can answer my charges. <laughs> so anyway, and because uh, you know it's not my place to judge them, but it is my place to speak the truth of Christ. So anyway, look at Matthew seven twenty two. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. We have prophesied in thy name. That's people who think they're Christians. And in thy name have cast out devils. They think they're Christians. And in thy name done many wonderful works. They all think they are Christians. But he goes on to tell them, nope, they're not. They don't know me. Uh, And, you know, ends up casting them away. And so, you know, I have to warn those people who, many, who think they are Christians... That they may not be. Why do I do that? Because the New Testament, New Covenant <laughs> uh, author in the Bible, like uh, Peter, Paul, and uh, James, uh, 
says you should be testing your faith. Testing what you know to be righteous and not righteous. And he, they give you long lists of things to look for. Find out if you're really a Christian or not. If your faith is real or not. You have to test your faith. And how do you know if your faith is not real? Because your works are not what James and Paul and Peter said they would be. If you are engaged in covetous practices and have become merchandise, that is the result of the fact that you do not have the revelation of faith in your heart and mind. God is not writing on your heart and mind, and so therefore you have become merchandise, cursed your children, which usually means put them into debt, and you have done this because you don't really have faith in Jesus Christ. You have a faith in what you know about Jesus Christ, or think you know about Jesus Christ, because of what you read in the Bible and has come into your mind through the flesh and blood of your eyes and your ears and your being. What You, you don't know Christ until He, through the Comforter, is actually writing upon your heart and your mind. Same person that was complaining about the fact that I said many people who say they are Christians, which is just quoting Jesus, they said they know Jesus and he is whispering to them in their heart. And I don't think that the whispering they're hearing is the real Jesus. But I could say, well, as long as she's happy. <laughs> but I can't because I know that's foolishness. That would be stupid of me. And I am repenting of that if I would have ever gone that way because I will tell them I think you're wrong. And I will tell them why I think they're wrong. And I will give them information. This is the one guy that was on the internet I just answered just before we came on the air, air is that he was still wondering, you know, because I said, you know, in the Romans 13, I've written a book, uh, The Higher Liberty, which goes to almost every argument that I've come across in years of offering that article out. Other people have quoted the article. A lot of people have liked the article, but some people don't like the article. And then, so we ask them, why? Why Why do you think that, well, this is wrong because of Koine Greek. Oh, this is wrong because that's not what the word means. This is wrong because that's not the way the Greeks use it. This is wrong because that's not the way the early church used it. And so I wrote a book showing them, yeah, Koine Greek, yep, that's the, what it means. Uh, yep, that's the way the Greeks thought the word was before Jesus, during Jesus' time, and hundreds of years after Jesus, the word still meant what I said it meant, which is actually what the concordance says it means. Because the concordance says the word means right to choose that's it. That's what it means. Your liberty to choose, your right to choose. But they translate it as government. Now, how do you translate a word that means the right to choose as government or authority? It's your right to choose. It's not government. So everybody should not remain subject to the higher government. <laughs> they should remain subject to the right to 
to choose, the original beginning right to choose, which was given to you by God. In other words, you should not waive your God-given rights in order to get benefits, because especially benefits that are offered to you by taking away from your neighbor, because that would be a covetous practice. And according to Peter, in the new covenant, that will make you merchandise. It will bring you into a yoke of bondage, like the yoke of bondage that was in Egypt, but worse. In the yoke of bondage that was in Egypt, you had to pay 20% of everything you earned to the Pharaoh, and he became this militant guy going around and conquering other people all over uh, the area around Egypt, all the way to Canaan. And that came about because... He could just take your labor. He didn't have to provide the services that that was supposed to provide because he was in authority. You had to pay him no matter what he was doing. You had to give him 20%. And that actually had increased because they, well, I won't go into all why that increased. You just go read the articles and hear the other recordings and we'll explain that. Bondage of Egypt is back in the world today in every country in the world. It's not unique to the United States or even Australia or Canada and certainly not China. And it's all because we've moved from a system of charity and faith, hope, and charity and that perfect law of liberty all spoken about in the New Covenant epistles to a system of coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other. Which Christ said not to do. Right at the point where he was going to be crucified, he appoints the, these New Testament, New Covenant apostles and tells them they're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. Yet people say they're Christians and they go to these men who exercise authority and say, please, please, will you take away from my neighbor so that I can have more stuff? <laughs> but we're Christians. We just want you to take away from our neighbors so that we have more stuff. And also, you can borrow against the future of our children so that we can have more stuff today. And they think they're Sabbath keepers. They're not Sabbath keepers. They're not saying work first, earn your rest. They're saying, I want to, I want to be free from having to work and be diligent and and strive, and so please borrow money against the future of my children and my neighbor's children so that I can have stuff today. Somebody was posted something about, keep your hands off our Social Security. And you don't have a right to pull the rug out from underneath our uh, Social Security. Guess what? There ain't no rug under your Social Security. <laughs> Social Security is bankrupt. We have a whole article on that show you that it's been bankrupt for a long time. It is operating in the red and uh, there is no money there. Uh, all the money they pay out is based on borrowing money. And you, you hear it in the news all the time. But people don't pay attention to what they're hearing. They don't read, much less read the fine print. And so I'm a reader of fine print. Uh, although my eyes are getting a little old <laughs> as I approach, uh, you know, uh, 70, it, it's getting a little harder. But I got a magnifying glass right here next to me <laughs> so I can read the fine print. 
And with uh, the help of the Holy Spirit, I can read the fine print of the gospel and the fine print of the truth that is in the whole of the Bible. Because the whole of the Bible is two witnesses to God. It isn't two separate messages from God. It's one message with two witnesses. And the reason most people don't see that is because they go to the Pharisees and ask them to translate the Bible. And the Pharisees got it wrong. If Jesus got it right, the Pharisees got it wrong. And they got it wrong because they changed the meaning of words. But Hebrew is a clever language. So, and we show you, we're not going to talk about it today, but we show you in other uh, places why you can actually, for yourself, figure out what the secrets of the Old Testament were and how Christ was preaching the same truth of the Old Testament in the New Testament. And you're going to say, oh no, the Old Testament was law and all this stuff. No, no, you're wrong. Oh, the Old Testament was blood sacrifice on piles of stone. No, you're wrong. And and many, many, many Jews at the time of Jesus Christ knew that was wrong. It would have nothing to do with animal sacrifice. Spoke Hebrew, read the Torah, believed in the Torah, but did not engage in animal sacrifice on piles of stone. Now, they did do Passover, but that... You, that you eat the lamb. <laughs> you don't just cut it up. And, and I could tell you stories about that. But anyway, so we're going to look at Isaiah. And Isaiah, you know, he lived about 800 years before Christ. And they don't really know, you know, they, they kind of refer to him as the prophet. His exact relationship between the people and this historical Isaiah is kind of complicated and, and there's a lots of different opinions as to exactly what Isaiah was all about and what he was doing and why he was saying. But we do have the book of Isaiah. It's one we have some of the oldest manuscripts we have uh includes the book of Isaiah and it's remarkably consistent. Not many mistakes in the rewriting of it. Even when you go back to, they, they've uncovered older manuscripts and they look at those and they're very close. I mean, we don't have anything back to 800 B.C., but uh, uh, it is it is a pretty, pretty filled document, but it's also filled with a lot of metaphors and allegories. So we're going to take a look at that. And uh, we're also going to go back to this idea of the mind and the brain, and the soul, and what is that all about? Because scientists agree that the brain is not really in charge. We make decisions in our brain all the time. But they actually believe that our heart is directing our brain. But then, what's directing the heart? It's kind of like, you know, where did it all begin? You know, you go back, you know, and they go back to a big bang, but then you ask, well, who made the bang? Bang. Who lit the fuse of the Big Bang? You know, what was banging? What what was that all about? So, there's always, we always take things back another step. So, yeah, the, the brain is controlled much by the heart. Words are coming out of your mouth that you had, you know, a lot of times things that I say, the first time I hear them is when they come out of my mouth. <laughs> well, that's the, it's coming out of my mouth and into my conscious mind. I'm hearing it. So, anyway, what's moving the heart? And that takes us to the soul. So, 
in the break. I'll go to the article on soul, read that, <laughs> and then we can talk about that. And, but we'll be right back to Keys to the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I told you to go. You could go to and look at the uh, article we have on Soul. And I I went there myself during the break, and I realized it's not completely finished. I didn't have the audios up. Well, now the audios are up, and uh, I will address it when I get time and get it finished the rest of the way. But there's a lot of information there about Soul. Shows you the comparison that there's more than. One word that is translated soul, sometimes one of those words is translated mind. Sometimes the word translated mind is translated soul more times and and then occasionally translated mind and then another word for mind. And so if translators get to do that, they get to, you know, switch words around left and right <laughs> so that, you know, the different words are uh, you know, you get five different Greek words and they translate it all into the same English word. You're missing something the author intended you to get. And then if you take uh, one Greek word and translate it into 15 different English words, <laughs> you could be missing something. You could actually, the, if if the translator has any kind of a emotional or spiritual agenda... He can steer your thinking. And then you get your dictionary writers changing the definition of words. You don't know what's going on. So when you're reading that fine print, you have to read between the lines. You have to find out why they say that. I mean, even if you read uh, medical prescriptions, what it says on medical prescriptions about different things. I mean, the word that's translated soul, is transla- one of the words, is translated life. Far more often than soul. So, or at least it's, it's translated that way a lot of the time. The, you know, the, there's the, the Hebrew, nefesh. And, uh, but anyway, if you go and get those recordings and, uh, you can, you can see what I'm talking about. Soul, it's, it's translated soul 475 times and life 117 times, person 29 times, mind 15 times, heart 15 times. Creature, nine times. Body, eight times. And it just goes on and on and on and on. Many different ways in which they translate this word that's supposed to mean soul. And so anyway, there's six hours of audio there and there's enough written there to get you thinking. Uh, But ultimately, the reason we give you all this information is to help you let go of what you're already thinking that just ain't so. <laughs> so, because that has you imprisoned, so you cannot see the truth. Where that's that's part of the process of taking the scales off your eyes. Because what you think 
you already know to be true that just ain't so. That's the scales on your eyes. It's keeping you from seeing the whole truth and what that truth really is. So I said we're going to look at Isaiah and we only have a limited amount of time. And so if you go to Preparing You, we have a page, Isaiah 58. You know, and you can just type that in. You can type in, You can. there's a link over there for the Bible and it'll take you to Isaiah and then there's a little deal that takes you to each individual chapter of the Bible. And on that page, I've started putting a commentary on Isaiah 58 so you can take a look at some of these other things and it will link you back. There are links and footnotes now in Isaiah and in this commentary on the right and you can do a study of your own. Let the Spirit lead you. And ultimately, you're only going to know the truth because you are listening to the Spirit. And the Spirit is speaking to your heart and mind. And how it does that, it does it through your soul. And maybe we will get to exactly again how it does that. We've addressed it somewhat in our series on soul. But that, what you do, draws your soul to God or to Satan. To the other realm. The realm we call hell or whatever you want to call it. It draws you there. One will draw you one way. One will draw you the other. It has to do with this uh, word that we're going to look at here. Which is uh, Tzedek Vav Mem. It's a Hebrew word. And there's three letters there. Tzedek Vav Mem. And uh, each one of those words. Tzedek means righteousness. Vav is a connecting word that is either... Dividing you by a veil or connecting you to the next letter. The next letter is Mem, which always has to do with flow. Okay, so the flow of righteousness. And there's this Vav in between. And that Vav can represent a veil that divides you from the flow. It can be like a knife that cuts you and separates you from the flow. And why can a word mean either way? Well, that's what you have to see when you, and that word is translated fasting or fasted. And so one kind of fasting separates you from the flow of righteousness. And the other kind of fasting connects you to the flow of righteousness. And where does the flow of righteousness come from? From that heavenly realm, from the creator. And what the principle that they're talking about here is the same as the tree of knowledge and the tree uh, of life. The tree of the soul. Life, soul, same word. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you decide what is good and evil with your own brain, with your own flesh and blood. And the tree of life is you decide based on the leading of your heart Because your heart is pressed up against the veil of righteousness. And the veil of righteousness, this heavenly realm, is guiding your heart and your mind. There's there's a guy I've known for almost 60 years. And, uh, or known of, I met him probably 55 years ago. And uh, he's well known. He's been on talk radio and everything. He's getting up there. He's a little older than me. (laughs) But... uh, uh, he had wrote a book, Your Mind Can Keep You Well. The problem is, what he hasn't quite understood yet, is that your mind can keep you well if your heart and soul 
and mind is pressed up against the righteousness of God. (laughs) But it can also make you sick if it's pressed up against unrighteousness. And so how, how do you make that distinction? And we all do it all the time, but we, we have scales on our eyes and there are some things we don't see. The guy who wrote the book, he sees a lot, but there are some things he doesn't see, which is why there's been a lot of problems in his life because he doesn't see it all. And you do not want to make him a guru. He wrote a book on gurus. <laughs> and he understands some of those things. That's the thing. You know, I talk about some people. His his first name is Roy. I'm not going to go any farther than that. If you know who he is, you can go look it up. But uh, there's, you know, Chuck Baldwin. We've talked about him. I have a great deal of respect for these guys. Because they've seen outside the box. I don't believe they see everything. But the, at least they are seen outside the box. Don't follow them. Get ahead of them and help them. (laughs) The way you get ahead of them is you seek Christ. You don't seek another man, another guru. You don't seek me. I can't lead you to the kingdom of God. I am pointing away. Isaiah was pointing away. John the Baptist was pointing away. Peter was pointing away. Peter and Paul both gave you lots of warnings. And, And we just started a little thing that showed up now already on many of our websites, uh, our webpages some of those warnings, and we will expand on that as the time go. Preparing you is a wealth of knowledge. HisHolyChurch.org is a wealth of knowledge, and that knowledge has helped appeal the scales off your eyes. But you have to implement what God is showing you. You have to become a doer of the Word, because that's where motion towards that veil of righteousness is is going to be established, is in doing what God gave you. Not because you're earning salvation, but because you have to be a doer. It's part of the principle. The foolish virgins were not doers. They were just dancing and using up their oil, and they were locked out. Don't be a foolish virgin. Apply the oil that God has given you to the purposes that God has laid out before you. So anyway, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sin. Yet they seek me daily, and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness, and forsook not the ordinances of God. So this is what they're seeking, supposedly. They, they say they're seeking this. In order to, for them to get there, though, they have, somebody has to show them their transgressions and their sin. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. But then when I do it, somebody says, oh, there's the judgment. <laughs> well, of course, I'm trying to show you the, John the Baptist. In order to tell you to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he has to tell you that you're not there yet. <laughs> So, he has to show you your transgressions. And their transgression was that they were looking to the temple to provide their welfare. And the temple had gone the way of Herod and Cain and Nimrod. They had forced the offerings of the people who signed up at the temple. He didn't have to sign up at the, you know, he created two temples. He created the temple in Jerusalem, but he also created the temple of Roma. So, those who didn't want to do the Jewish thing... They could do the Roma thing. But both temples were providing welfare for the people through signing up and having to pay in. 
As soon as they did that, then they needed these Molokai and Gabai to go around and make sure you were paying in your fair share. That was a process of covetousness. And it was making the word of God to none effect with their sacrifice, with their Corban. So anyways, Isaiah, he goes on and says, you know, this nation uh, that did righteousness, this is what they're supposed to be seeking, and forsook not the ordinances of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. So, but he's talking about telling them where their transgression and sin is. Wherefore have we fasted? And there's that word. Tzedek vav mem. Say they, and thou seest not. Therefore have we afflicted our soul. And thou takest no knowledge. Okay, they've afflicted their soul. They put scales on their eyes. And so they can't take the knowledge in of God. They can't, they, they can't receive the guidance of God. They can't eat of the tree of life. Because they can't take that knowledge from the tree of life, so they have to make it up. And that's what I see a lot of ministers do, making it up as they go along. They're not really following Christ. And, and I can show you where they're not. But I can't guarantee that you'll see it. Behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Whoa, what kind of fasting is that? Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Now, you have to understand all these symbols and metaphors in here to really get a grasp on this. But clearly, he's telling you that what they're doing is not the fasting that he wants. The the and again go back to that word tzedek vav mem the righteousness that they're seeking is not the fasting that he wants the righteousness that he wants because that's what that word means righteousness connection to the flow see in your society you're taking care of the widows and orphans in needy of your society in Canada they do it they have you know, this health care system, they have welfare, they have old age pensions, they have all those things. They have many of these things in the United States. They want to up the health care system. But their system is based on the fist of wickedness. It's based on force. Forcing the contributions of the people. There's a flow. There's a flow there. And it's to do good things. But it's based on the fist of wickedness. And that's not what God wants. And it puts scales on your eyes so you can't see the truth. I mean, you go talk to a liberal. All the conservatives, they can say, all oh, these liberals, these snowflakes, they don't want to deal in facts. They want to deal in emotions. And um, they're impervious to facts. What about the conservatives? Are they impervious to some facts too? Do they have some scales on their eyes? Do they have some repenting they need to do? So let's look, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just pick on one group. I'm gonna pick on everybody equally. <laughs> so, so 
Is it to bow down his head uh, as a bulrush and spread a sackcloth of ashes? Wilt thou call this a fast? I mean, it's a sacrifice, you know, and an acceptable day of the Lord. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? Is this, you know, is this fast the one I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. And to let the oppressed go free. And that ye break every yoke. Is that the fast? Is that the righteousness? To take care of those needy with charity, not with force, the fist of wickedness. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? What is he talking about? He wants you to take care of the hungry. He wants to take care of the poor. But he wants you to do it, of course. Now, if you're going to bring in Ezekiel and others and Sodom and Gomorrah, that you need to be strengthening the poor. You're not to be making people weak and dependent. Don't feed the bears. It makes them dependent. Don't feed the poor. It makes them dependent. But take care of the poor. In order to do that, you have to do it with a rebuking heart because as many as I love, I also rebuke. Here's a sandwich. Let's get you into the workplace. Let's get you a job. Let's get you something that makes you a productive member of society. Okay, but I don't have any legs. Okay, do you have fingers? Yeah. Well, let's get you a typing job. <laughs> okay. You know, you know, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Everybody can almost do something. Obviously, there are some that can't. But arguing, well, some people just can't do any work whatsoever. You know, but I have depression. I get headaches when I have to work. You know, I mean, these are the things I hear. Well, we can deal with a, a depression. We can deal with these problems. We can help you overcome these problems. But you got to want to overcome these problems. The fact that you're poor should be incentive to overcome these problems. And that's the way you really clothe the naked. Because they're missing character. Now, some people are down on their luck just because some bad things have happened. Sometimes they're down on their luck because they made a few bad choices. But now it's time to start making good choices. And we want to, we don't want them starving to death before they can do it. But if we're going to feed them, we have to see them implementing the good choices in their life. If they're just being lazy, we cannot feed their sloth. They're just going to have to do a little more fasting themselves. Unfortunately, the fist of wickedness doesn't really care. They just give and give and give because it buys boats. And they then they want more and more free giveaways. But they're not free. They cost society. They cost the future of their children. They curse their children. They make themselves merchandise. So they have to pay into uh, Pharaoh and he can go wage war on the Canaanites and wage war on other nations, the Ethiopians. He can wage war on people all over his area of the world because he's got this income because the people have to pay him no matter what he does. And that's not what God wants. That empowers people to become corrupt. The power they gave Saul, that was a rejection of God. The power they gave Nimrod, that's a rejection of God. And it creates tyrants. 
And the way it creates tyrants is you choose to be a tyrant over your neighbor. You choose to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And it changes the whole spiritual dynamic of society because you're now pressed up against the veil of hell. And now hell can empty itself out in this world until hell is empty and all the demons are here. That's what you're seeing. That's the process that's going on. So now you don't have to worry about the fact that a lot of people want to press themselves up against hell because hell is a vacuum. It's the absence of light. You have to personally choose to press yourself, draw near the veil of heaven. And Paul in the New Testament, Peter in the New Testament, James in the New Testament, they're all trying to tell you what to look for in order to see if your faith is real. Test your faith. You have to test your faith. And if you're not doing what Christ said to do, you're not doing what Moses said to do. If you're not doing what Isaiah said to do, then your faith in God is not real. You're, you have faith in an image of God. Now, we're all complex creatures. Everybody believes in God a little bit. Even the atheist. He believes in God a lot more than you think. But you have to get, you have to seek that righteousness in order to become perfected in that belief. And there's a lot of people with scales on their eyes and are looking at Christ, looking at the Gospels, looking at the New Testament, looking at the Old Testament, and they actually don't see what it's saying. And they make excuses for what they're doing. And they're that's keeping the scales there. So we give them information to help get those scales off. But ultimately, they have to be willing to let it go and see that they have sinned And they have transgressed. So that's why I'm showing you your transgression and your sin. Because Isaiah said so. John the Baptist said so. Jesus said so. Peter said so. Paul said so. James said so. So, what's your problem? (laughs) So, they shall see the light break forth as the morning. And thine health shall spring forth speedily. And thy righteousness shall go before thee. And the glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. If you do this. And that's why we created the network. Everybody should go to the network, the email network online. Most people are hearing me online. So go to preparingyou.com. Join the network. Start a congregation. Pick a minister. You may change ministers numerous times until you find the minister that doesn't necessarily make you happy. But it's showing you your transgression and your sin. And helping you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so that's what you should be doing. Is gathering together with other people. Because how in the world can you feed the hungry. And take care of the poor. And uh, and do these. You know get clothed to the naked. And do these things in a righteous fashion that strengthens the poor. How can you do that if you don't come together. You, you you can say, well, I help the poor when I see them and stumble on them. No, you have to aggressively seek the kingdom of God. You have to come together with others to seek the kingdom of God. It's an individual coming together 
we, and we show you how the early church was set up not to interfere with individual rights. Somebody said on Facebook that uh, they've left the, it's the unregistered, not unregistered church, it's the unchurched group. And uh, they, one guy was saying, I have left the uh, church and people are constantly saying, well, you have a problem with authority. And so you left the church. Why in the world would anybody who has a problem with authority leave the church since Jesus Christ told his ministers they were not to exercise authority one over the other? <laughs> so, if there's somebody exercising authority where you are rebelling against the authority of that church, that church is not the church established by Jesus Christ because that minister is not following the instructions of Jesus Christ, who didn't say, you might not want to be authoritarian. He said, thou shalt not (laughs) be like the governments who exercise authority. You're not supposed to be exercising authority. Now, the, the minister of the church only has authority over what you give him, and you don't ever give him the right to choose for you. You give him stuff so that he can feed the poor and clothe the naked and to help other people out. And you only give it to him because you actually see him doing that. Or, you you know, you give him a little bit to see if he does a good job with it. And if he does a good job with it, then you can give him more. Your choice. The power of the purse strings is in the hands of the individual elder. You know, once he gives it, he's let go. He can't can't put it in a bank and then every time the pastor needs some money, he comes and asks for some church money. No, you have to give it to him because you have to do some letting go. This is the same as forgiveness is about letting go. Letting go of judgment. You take a little bit of money or a little bit of stuff, food, whatever it is, and you let it go into the hands of another. And that is the process of forgiveness. You let you leave judgment to God. You leave the judgment of this stuff to someone else. And that helps you forgive when you do that. And then if he uses it wisely, then he knows you may give him more. If he doesn't use it wisely, you know you may not give him more. But if you're going to church because it makes you feel happy, you'll go there and he'll just tickle your ears. And he'll tell you what you want to see. He won't tell you your transgressions. He won't tell you your sins. You need to you need to have a pastor who will tell you the truth. Then shall the light break forth. That's what it's saying there in verse 8. In verse 9 he says, Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke. The oak you've already placed on your neighbor. You know, in, in, in Samuel, 1 Samuel 8, he says, if you go after these rulers who can exercise authority, this fist of wickedness, he's going to take and take and take and take and take and take. And when you cry out, I will not hear you. Isaiah is telling you how to get him to hear you again. And that's what I'm telling you. But you got to see your sin and see your transgression, which is coveting, not living by faith but living by force, the fist of wickedness. So anyway, we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom.
So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Second Corinthians 13.5 says, in the New Covenant, by the way, uh, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves. How that Jesus Christ is in you. So he's saying, check yourself to see if it's the real Jesus Christ that's in you. And how do you know this? Well, James in the New Covenant tells you that by your works, by what you're doing. And since I'm supposed to tell you your transgression and your sin, I'm saying what you're doing is seeking benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other and force your neighbor, put a yoke and burden upon your neighbor to take away from your neighbor and your neighbor's children and at this stage, your neighbor's grandchildren and great-grandchildren are going to have to pay back to the traveling merchants of the earth everything that you're taking now because you want your rest now. You don't want to be diligent now. You want your rest now. You want your benefits now. You want to be happy, happy, happy now at the expense of the future of your children and your neighbor and your neighbor's children. And so, you're a reprobate. (laughs) Because that's what it goes on to say. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you except ye be reprobates. And uh, the word reprobate there is from adokimos, um, which means stand, not standing the test. It has the negative connotation. It has the, It's the word for kind of test and approve, but you don't stand the test. So what's the test? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself or are you coveting your neighbor's goods for yourself? Are you just want to be happy? Or do you want to be righteous? Because it doesn't say seek the kingdom of God and your personal happiness. It's a, so, you know, this prosperity gospel thing, I tell you, you want to prosper, repent. <laughs> and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Start learning what it means to live by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. Don't jump out of the frying pan into the fire, but rise above the pan and the fire. Seek that kingdom and strive and be diligent and fast according to the ways of Christ. And then your life will change. And that fasting can be represented in your fasting of food, but that's not really what it's all about, just fasting of food. Actually, I've been doing fasting a lot myself and praying and and I'm feeling a lot better. I'm not really that overweight or anything, but... uh, I'm I'm being diligent at some things that I have kind of neglected over the years and tempted the fate of God. And so I'm doing that as an exercise in that diligence. And I'll, I'll talk a lot about that some other time or maybe over a campfire. But uh, what you need to do is get together with His Holy Church's network of people, which is a free assembly. You don't... You don't have to join, you know, and pledge or any of those things like that. I mean, you do join together. You do come together, but you don't really become a member. You become a congregate. And we just put up a web page on what a congregate is, and it talks about it in great detail. And I probably ought to go through that and make a, a show about that. I might do that this afternoon and uh, then put that up 
so that you can understand that. But let's get back to Isaiah, because we only have a little bit of time, and we're only halfway through, or a little over halfway through. But it says, Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. That's what you want. You want to be in that state where you cry out, and God says, Here I am. He tells you where he's at. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and the speaking of vanity. That's what you have to do. And the yoke is, you have to move in a direction, this is why you have to come together, where you do not need to get benefits from those men who exercise authority and put yokes upon your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and the same for your neighbor. You want to wean yourself off of that. You want to, you know, get rid of that addiction to the benefits of the world. I mean, a hundred years ago, there was no welfare from the state. Uh, we took care of one another. We could do that again. But you have to work your way back there. And if you are start heading back, you will need the Father to run out and meet you before you even get home and make, and make provision for you. But you have to turn around and start heading back. He didn't run to the other world and get you and drag you back. You have to head back with the intention of being a servant. And that's why you need to congregate with others. Stop putting it off. Stop making excuses. Start getting together and form congregations. You will not do it right. You will screw it up. But you, that's the way you get better. Is that you practice makes perfect. So anyway. So stop pointing the finger at everybody else. Stop speaking these vanities like you already know. And you already believe. And you're already saved. And start examining yourself. And start putting the Word of God into action. And then God will do the rest. And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall the light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought because you're pressing up against his ways, his kingdom. You're seeking that. You're, you're sacrificing means, it comes from a word that means to draw near. And that will draw your soul near the realm that believes in sacrifice rather than the realm that believes in the fist of wickedness. And he will guide you. And his voice will become clearer. You may no longer hear that whispering of the guy who says, you're okay, you're saved already, don't worry, you don't have to do anything. Yeah, you, you know, because that's lulling you, that's tickling your ears, that's telling you what you want to hear. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I hope I'm not telling you what you don't want to hear, but I can guarantee I will often tell you what is not comfortable. Because I have to show you your transgression and your sin. So anyway, he will feed your soul, not me, and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fall not. And, you know, that's what we have out here. We don't depend upon rainfall. We depend upon water that cometh up from the ground. And uh, we've already seen miracles in this, this realm. We will We will show more, but don't believe me. <laughs> you just repent. Just examine yourself. And they that shall be of thee, 
shalt build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundation of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. So anyway, it starts a new paragraph, at least according to the translators, it's a new paragraph. It says, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the Holy Lord honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, thy own happiness, <laughs> nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So, the Sabbath, I have a link there on that page that takes you to an article on the Sabbath. People do not understand that the Sabbath is not about a day, it's about a way. And that's what he's saying here. Yeah, you see the word holy day there and all that stuff. Don't get carried away with those preconceived notions. It says, not doing thine own way, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, but finding the way of God. And the way of God is you work first, and then you take your rest. You do not borrow against the future. You do not borrow against the future of your children. You do not borrow against the future of your grandchildren or your neighbor's grandchildren or great-grandchildren, which is what you have done, which takes us back to the beginning. That's your transgression. That's one of them. (laughs) That's your sin. That sin of covetous. If you desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor, you're in violation of the Ten Commandments, and you're certainly in violation of the Two Commandments because you don't love your neighbor. You covet your neighbor's goods. You, you know, coveting is not wanting a wife like your neighbor. It's wanting your wife, neighbor's wife. It is not uh, that you want to be wealthy like your neighbor. You want your neighbor's wealth. And when you say tax the rich, to get me benefits. That's a covetous practice. It's going to end up the other way around. We have explained how that always works. It's going to take from somebody else. But uh, it's not the way to do it. And uh, so you need to turn around. So over on the side we have uh, links to the article on the way. Uh, l- links to an article about the bands of wickedness. Which is actually um, a workers of iniquity article. And uh, uh, links to the word yoke, how many times that shows up, what a daily administration is, what a religion is, what Corbin is, what pure religion is, what the baptism of John was, what Abraham was doing, what Moses was doing, just all kinds of stuff. And you can also find links about that word tzedek vav mem, which some people say means to fast. And it can, but in what sense? The kind of fasting you're doing. The kind of sacrifice that you're doing. Is it a free will sacrifice? You know, charity is only mentioned in the New Testament. You never mentioned in the Old Testament. But what are they talking about here? But charity. They just don't translate any of these words as charity. But it's the fasting. See, when you give something away that you could keep and consume yourself, is that not fasting? You're fasting from the control of that thing. 
You're taking the control of that thing to somebody else. And then you're saying, you control it. And you're doing it in hopes that they will follow the ways of God. And I tell you that this will press your soul and therefore your mind up against the veil of the kingdom of God. God will open that veil. God will feed you the truth through that veil. But that's what it's doing. It's taking you to that place where God can say, here I am. And then that still small voice that you hear inside your heart will be the voice of God and you will begin to see more and more and more things. But you have to put that into practice. And so anyway, I talked to you about the fact that uh, we've uh, started to share with people because they evidently need this. They They thought they understood Peter, Paul, and James. And they do not understand Peter, Paul, and James. They do not understand the gospel because their pastors are not telling. You know, I've, I've told the story many times where I went, whole room full of pastors, and I said, what did Jesus say was the weightier matters? Now, these are the people that are supposed to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they could not tell me. They could not tell me what Jesus listed off as the weightier matters. Somebody's not reading the instructions. They are, though. They had hundreds of years between them of the study of the Bible and the New Testament and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But yet when he says the the Pharisees are in trouble because they're not tending to the weightier matters and then he tells you what they are and these guys don't even remember. They can quote the Bible from one end to the other but they don't see that. How is that possible? There must be some sort of spiritual force that is keeping them from seeing that. And there is. They have scales on their eyes. They cannot see. They're nice guys. Some of them I have a great deal of respect for. But they cannot see something about the gospel that is called the weightier matters. Why can't they see that? Well, your average churchgoer, there's all kinds of stuff they can't see. Although, among some of the churchgoers, occasionally here and there, you'll find somebody who, wow, you saw that. Somebody just said on Facebook that, you know, in listening to our audios, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of audios out there. We have uh, hundreds and hundreds of articles. We have numerous books, all free. We just give them away. You know, you just, you know, if you want a hard copy, I have to charge you because I'm not an inexhaustible source of money. But you can download them, print them out yourselves. We don't keep the access from you like some pastors do. And I rebuke them for that (laughs) in love. (laughs) But they, now some pastors, uh, you shouldn't read their book. (laughs) But you're just going to have to seek to be inspired by God to know which ones are telling you the truth. But anyway, this individual is saying, I never really took the time to listen to all this stuff. And now I'm doing, but I really kind of knew all this before. But hearing it helps kind of awaken it. And I can't remember exactly how he put it. But yeah. That's good, because I'm not teaching you really anything. Most of the facts I give you are to help unteach you, help get those scales off. Then if you start seeing the truth and seeing the way, 
and seeing what Christ was really talking about and Isaiah was really talking about and John the Baptist was really talking about. I mean, are you taking care of all the social welfare in your church, your congregation, your community through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty? Or do you depend 1%, 2%, 10%, 20%, 50%, 70%, 80% on men who exercise authority? In other words, add up. You got a little home church somewhere. You can do this easily. You got a big church. It may take a little bit more. Just take a random sampling. Say, how much do you get on welfare? How much do you get in Social Security? How much do you get in free education from the public schools? How much do you get WIC, you know, and all this stuff? You take take this from everybody in this sample group, and you add it up, and it comes to $100,000 in benefits that you receive from the men who exercise authority. Now, add up everything that you share amongst yourself to the needy. Not just the needy in your group, but the needy outside your group. You can add all that in. Everything you give to charities, you know, whatever those charities are, you know, uh, for to save the whale. I don't care. You add them up. Which number is going to be bigger? <laughs> well, I can tell you. Chances are, though, unless you're Amish, then the, the answer is going to be that no you depend on the men who exercise authority one over the other. You depend upon the benefits of government more. Now, turn that around. Let's go the other way. Because what got you into trouble is coveting your neighbor's goods. What's going to get you back home is sacrifice. Charity. You have to go back the other way. You have to balance the scales. Now, yeah, Christ died that you might be saved. Christ died that you might be forgiven. I mean, that's, these are the words he used, might be saved. This Salvation is there. But if you don't forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. And you need to understand that. And if you go through, you know, what people like Peter said, wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So he's saying to be diligent. Jesus said to be diligent. And they said, oh, well, that was the Old Testament. No, Peter's New Testament. He's saying be dil- diligent to make your calling and election sure. He's telling you. Peter says, having eyes full of adultery and uh, that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart, they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. Exercise. That's you. Wanting free school. Wanting health care. Wanting Medicare, Medicaid, welfare. All these gifts, gratuities, and benefits offered by government who exercise authority, taking away from your neighbor and borrowing against the future in violation of the Sabbath. Peter's telling you that you're, in order, if this is what you're doing, your eyes are full of adultery. You're committing adultery. You're fornicating with the world instead of living by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. Peter says, in, in 2 Peter 2, 3, and through covetousness, 
shalt thou with feigned words, fake faith, <laughs> fake religion, make merchandise of you. The covetousness makes merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. You're in trouble. This is the transgressions that modern Christians have done, and they need to repent of that and go back the other way. Modern Jews have done. Modern uh, Muslims, Buddhists, all have done. Occasionally you'll find people now who don't want those benefits. But do in, if in order to balance it, you have to want to become the benefactors who do not exercise authority one over the other. You have to do this. Paul, New Covenant Paul, tells you, who says, you know, it's by faith that you're saved, says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Long as you're happy though, right? Covetous, boasters, proud. Proud of what? Ah, I believe, I'm saved, I you know, you can't find any fault with me. Oh, you're judgmental. But they blaspheme against the Holy Spirit because they will not listen to the Holy Spirit who's telling them deep down in their hearts, which is why they get so angry when I point out that desiring the benefits of men who exercise authority and borrow money against the future is a transgression against God. They don't want to hear that. And they get mad at me because they're blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Because deep down they know I'm right. They know they're wrong. They know they're sinning. But they don't want to hear. They want to block me out. Same as the Pharisees wanted to block Christ out. Disobedient to parents. Well, are you honoring your father and your mother? Are you taking care of them? Or are the state taking care of them? Ah, amazing. Now, you're not going to get back to the righteous ways of God overnight. Rome was not built in a day. And to get out of Rome and go the other way, it's not going to take place in a day. But things may change in a twinkle of an eye. And you better start getting ready now. Are you unthankful, unholy? Unholy, that means unseparate. Without natural affection, truce breakers. Now he's talking about all the things. Now you may not be all these things. You don't have to do all these things. You just have to do some of them. Natural affection, divorcing. I mean, he goes on. False accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure long as you're happy though, right? More than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, go to church, put on the outfit, say the words, but denying the power thereof. And the power thereof means that if you would come together and live by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty, you could take care of one another. Uh, can you imagine what, this is why it's important to gather together. You're pressing up against the veil of heaven, seeking diligently, as Peter says, as Paul says, as Christ said, to receive the still small voice of Christ speaking to you through that veil, guiding you in your way. You're doing it. You're doing it with another person and another person and another person and another person. This creates a flow of righteousness in the world that will go out ahead of you, as it says in Isaiah. It will light the way ahead of you why did Jesus always send the apostles out two by two? Because when your light was dim, his light was bright. You were lighting each other's way. 
That is very important in seeking the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. Gather together in righteousness. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.